What's up, guys? This is Chloe Pavlik and Brandon Rhodes, and you are tuned in to The Work. Today, we have an incredible interview with Michael Carter-Williams. He talks about raising his daughter, how his grandfather had to change his name, and how he's been involved with the Black Lives Matter movement. So before we get into the interview, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what happened with Kawan Charles in Louisiana. So Kawan Charles, who goes by Bobby, he was 15 and he was last seen alive, leaving his home in Baldwin, Louisiana. And then he was found dead in a field. And when I first saw the graphic image, I gasped and I actually started crying because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, you know, on Instagram, when whenever there's a picture that's graphic, you get a warning message now. So even though I had a, I had a warning message, I still didn't know what the title was, what anything was. It was just on one of my close friends' story, and I clicked it. B, how did you first hear about it? Well, you know, I was in the middle of a bunch of meetings at, at work, and you actually sent it to me first, right? And it's one of those things where you see the headline and you just think like, damn, not another one. And you really, these days, have to kind of debate with yourself, like, am I ready to even look at this? Because you have all these other things going on. You know, we actually had our, our meeting for our diversity council that we put together. And I looked at it right before that. And I just said, hey, I have to look at this image. You know, these are things that we have to deal with. And it's just crazy to me that, you know, so many years after Emmett Till, you could see something that looks so similar. But I was devastated. Right. Like I was really hurt by it. It just sinks in that, you know, you live in a world, no matter what you do, no matter how successful you are, that doesn't treat us the same way it treats other people. Right. It wasn't designed for us. And it and that really hit home in that moment. And just to think about what his family and what his parents must be thinking and, and what he had to go through, uh, it was just sickening, to be honest. Yeah, and I think the part that really struck me is that finding out that his parents had been calling the police department, asking them to conduct an investigation, and the police just kind of told them to sit tight until they heard from him, and then, you know, they never heard from him because he was dead. And when I think about just the similarities in age, right, Emmett Till was 14 and died in 1955, and Bobby, he's 15 and died like this in 2020, right? So yeah, that news is, is obviously devastating um, to all of us and it's and it so painful. I think what we can do is continue to say his name and, and fight for justice and fight for coverage so that we can see a result here. And this segues into what we talked about with Michael because he really talks about fighting in your own community and also leaving the world a better place than when you found it. And I think that's the, the best message we can take away and continue to push and fight uh, for a better world. So Michael, thanks for joining us on The Work. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, just down in Orlando, just getting some work in, but um, I'm doing well. Yeah, I hope you're enjoying that warm weather. Well, you know at The Work, our, our first pinnacle question is, when did you realize you were black? So I'm curious to hear your story about that. Um, when I was about, five or six years old my mom and my uh stepfather we moved to um a predominant white area so um i was one of the only black kids um in that area and in the school as well so i i you know i learned you know what it felt like to really be black early you know i i got the you know 
you, you know, why do you, why do you talk like that? Why do you look like that? You know what I mean? I got those, are you even black? I got those, all those questions like really early in, in my life. And, um, you know, I, I got treated, you know, differently, you know, in, in this small town. So, you know, I, I had to kind of face that, you know, pretty early on in my life. There was no specific one story where, you know, I could sit here and say, you know, I, I have a, a million stories of, you know, of, of me feeling like this is only happening to me because of my skin color, because I am black. But, you know, from the start, you know, I, I was, you know, I had that uncomfortable feeling of, you know, he's the only black kid in the room. And, and there's a lot of people that made that, you know, kind of obvious. Did you ever feel it too, especially when you played sports? Cause like you said, you moved to a predominantly white area, probably for you, you know, most of your teammates or if not all of your teammates were white and you were the only black guy on the team. For sure. Um, I, I definitely felt that, you know, at a, at a young age, um, you know, I can remember, you know, my mom missing, you know, signups because we're new in the town and they, you know, give her an extra, extra hard time, you know, for, for me not to be able to play. You know, I remember, you know, when I eventually could, was able to play, I remember, you know, jealousy kids, you know, were jealous on the team of, you know, of me because, you know, I was, you know, pretty good at a, at a young age. And um, so I, I, you know, I, I definitely, there was definitely a lot of times where I definitely felt like an outcast. Do you feel like it ever impacted your athletic career or just your relationship with, with people around you or teammates or anything like that? Um, I don't think so. You know, I, I think, you know, as you get older, you play in, you know, more areas, you, you know, you, you start meeting new people and also, you know, the, 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 the game changes, right? Like, you know, you're a, a, a black male on a team, um, you know, you're, you're the best player on the team. And then, you know, some some switches start to, to turn on, right? Like, you know, it's no longer the, you know, look at him. It's like, you know, yeah, keep leading us to the, you know, I, I like winning more than like, I hate, you know, making this like awkward between us because of your skin color. Right, so right. I don't think it like, I've had many great teammates in the past, white, black, whatever, but um, I don't think it ever affected, you know, how I played or, or you know, cause I, I, I love the game so much. That I never really let that get in the way. Yeah, that's real. Because uh, Brandon and I, we talked about before, too, especially when it does come to playing sports, that it goes from a position of we don't really want you here to you becoming super celebrated, right? Because you're helping the organization, you're helping the team, you're helping the community, all of that. And one thing I know you mentioned your mom, but what I do want to talk about is your grandfather, because... I think I read that, you know, his name was Michael Carter, but his original name was Leroy and he had to change it because people wouldn't work with him. So did you ever hear any of those stories and kind of how that went? Yeah. So um, my grandfather and my mom, they used to tell me a lot, you know, about his about his past. And so basically what happened was he um, he won land on a, on a poker game, um, a lot of land like seven acres of land and he uh he built a stable uh by himself and he used to you know break in horses and he take care of horses and it was hard for him to get clients because going by the name Leroy in the town that he won the land everybody knew he was black you know if you say hi my name is Leroy you know they, they know he's black and he would get no work so he changed his name to Mike 
And once they got there, they were a little, you know, iffy about, you know, the situation. But once they saw them, how good he was with the horses, um, they, they, you know, they kind of changed their thought and opinion. So he started getting a lot of work. His name kind of started getting, getting pretty big. He, he was, you know, he trained horses that were in the Kentucky Derby. He went, I, he's got tons of pictures and everything. And um, so, yeah. And, and I remember, uh, I, I remember going to the library um, my freshman year, cause I went to the, that, that high school, my hometown high school, my freshman year until I left for Rhode Island. I remember going through a yearbook and seeing his picture in the yearbook and he was him telling me stories about, you know, how they went on a field trip and they weren't allowed to stay in the hotel because he was black. And so the, there was so many, so many different stories of, of him growing up in that town and experiencing, you know, different types of racism. That's a, that's an amazing story to know your legacy like that. Right. And you're named after him. So that's kind of a pass down. But it, the, the thing that's crazy to me about that story is that, you know, you, his merit had to show other, like they couldn't just go to him based on what he was doing. He had to change something about himself as a black man in America. And I think a lot of us still feel that way today, you know, 50, 60 years later, that you have to assimilate or, you know, my story was I had to cut my hair off or different things like that just to feel like, you know, the society that you live in will work with you and accept you. Absolutely. No, you're 100% right. Yeah, so we wanted to transition a little bit to the to the bubble because I know, you know, you were a part of that. You were a part of kind of a historic movement um, that happened within the bubble and in the outside world in the wake of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everything the NBA put together. So how was that experience kind of being in the bubble, being a part of kind of the players doing different things, a part of the Jacob Blake moment? Like, just walk us through a little bit of that experience. Um, it was a crazy experience, to be honest. You know, I you know, would never imagine myself, you know, in that position, um, you know, just being a part of so many different things going to, you know, different meetings and how we can, you know, make things better, how we can use our platform to open more eyes, how we can, you know, protest on, of, of what's going on in, in different ways. And um, I think it, it was, it was a great experience. You know, I, I think we were able to accomplish some, some serious things that, you know, people may not see, you know, right away. I think opening up, um, our stadiums for voting is, was huge, you know, and I think that, you know, impacted other, you know, sports and, and teams to do that as well. Um, I think getting, you know, the owners to pay for a coalition group for each, each NBA city, I think, you know, that's in the process. And I think that's going to be, you know, huge. Um, so I think we were able to, you know, get some, some good groundwork inside the bubble um, to, you know, to better our country. And for you, Michael, personally, what do you think are the next steps that you or even your team would need to take into the next NBA season to really keep the momentum going and really keep pushing for racial equality? Um, you know, I, I think our voices are, are heard, right? I think everybody, you know, knows, you know, you know, what we're fighting for. Um, we've expressed that. And I think it's time to, you know, put things in action. And I know a lot of, a lot of people are, you know, I know Chris, Paul, Carmelo, D Wade, you know, they're, they run the social change fund. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are part of it. Um, you know, I, you know, I think going back to your cities of, of where you're playing with and, and going to the grounds, you know, I recently went to um, a workshop, you know, coach Clifford and I, we, we went to a workshop, um, ran by a guy named uh, Dr. Nelson. And he went um, to talk to the Orlando Police Department. 
And he basically did, you know, different activities, asked different questions, asked what their goals were for the city, for, for their counties. And um, he had all that. And then he did the same exercises, you know, with the people in the community, you know, community leaders, um, people who are fighting for um, social injustice. Um, you know, myself, Coach Clifford, there was a lot of you know, great people, you know, in that room. And, you know, we also did that, the activities and we were aligned in a lot of ways, right? They wanted, you know, a lot of positive things for the city. And, you know, obviously the people that fight for the city want positive, you know, things for the city. And they want that, they want the law enforcement in our community to, to be able to blend and, and to be able to, you know, coexist and not, you know, have animosity and have black kids growing up you know, scared of police or, or have mothers teach their children that, you know, to be afraid of the police. And it was just great insight in how, you know, kind of the police force that, uh, like how they thought, you know, it, it was, it was really amazing that, you know, you could sit back and be like, okay, I do have anger. I, I am pushing for something, but I'm able to sit back and listen for one second to maybe take a step further in that, you know, I'm, I'm always going to fight for, for justice. I'm always going to, you know, try to make a change. But I, I think that happens when, you know, at some point it's got to be, okay, like I'm willing to sit and listen of why you act this way and how can we fix this, right? And, and I think he, he put it in, in, in a great way that police have to be more involved with the community. And the only time that the interaction it, it can't be the only time an interaction happens is when I pick up the phone and call the police that something bad has happened. And that's the only time somebody sees, it's the only time black and cops, black people and cops, they, they interact. And, and that's, it's gonna stay like that forever unless I'm able to see a police officer and say, that's Deputy Joe, you, like what's going on? How are you doing? Like, you know what I mean? So, and I think it takes the police force taking that first step and, and, and taking that initiative to come down the community and, and, and do that. And people have to be welcome. You know, it can't just be a one way street. I think it has to be both. So I think doing things like that in your own community is where I think people should be at. Yeah. So you're talking about bridging the gap in the community first, right. um, which I, which I love that. I love that idea and, and really being local about it. And I've heard you speak a lot um, about Orlando in particular. And one of the things that you've been doing is, is protesting a lot. So what, what inspired you to go to protest and, and how do you think that has an impact, you know, on one hand, kind of bridging the gap with the police force, but on the other hand, using your voice and protesting and being on the street? Yeah, I think, you know, when, when the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor um, incidents, happen, incidents happen, um, I think a lot of people were angry and, and, I, and I, I was myself, you know, and I'm sure we all were. And I think me going to protest was, I just felt that like, I know there's a lot of people who must feel like their voices aren't heard. Um, and I think that someone in my, you know, someone who's who, the platform that I have, if I'm able to go down there and, and be on the grounds with them, maybe they'll feel like their voices are heard. And, and cause they know, you know, certain people will listen to me. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I've spoken to the mayor, I've spoken to, um, I've, Chief Mina, I've spoken to the sheriff. So like, there's a lot of people that are willing to, you know, speak to NBA players, NFL players. And, and I think that's the biggest reason why I do it, right? Is, is because I do want to fight for something bigger than myself, but I'm also giving thousands of other people a voice. I love that. And 
you know, to your point and to Brandon's point, that is, that's where, at least me personally, where I do see NBA players and NBA teams really bridging that gap between the community and the police force or even government officials, because you guys do have contacts with them and they are at your hands. And even though they work for the people, the people don't always see it that way. So I I love that point. Um, I do want to shift, though, to Syracuse, because I know you've done a lot of work with them. Obviously, have you played there? Um, and I know you also wanted to, them to come out with a stronger response to Black Lives Matter. But tell us your experience while you were at Syracuse as a black man. Um, I had, you know, I, I had a Syracuse was, was unbelievable for me. You know, I've met some of my best friends in the world there. Um, we had a great, you know, I had a great basketball career there. You know, those two years I were there, we, you know, went to the Elite Eight Final Four. Everything was great. There was a few instances where, um, you know, I, I think there was a, you know, a girl who was saying racial slurs on camera that went viral while I was there. Um, so th- there's been, there's been, inc- there's been some incidences where there's been some racial, racial stuff that had to do with Syracuse. And, it was, you know, I was in college. I didn't, you know, like, I was like, oh, that, that girl's dumb. Like, I wasn't, you know, in my mind, I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't going to fight for it, so to speak. Like, I didn't know. Like, I just was like, whatever, like, that's on her. Like, and I, but over the years, obviously, you know, I've grown, I've seen the seriousness, you know, in it. And I think when, when they put out um, a statement, um, you know, it, it, it hurt, it, like it hurt a lot of people, you know, I felt like it wasn't what it should be. Um, you know, I talked to a few of my friends, I went to Syracuse, they kind of felt the same way. Um, so we went and, you know, spoke to the AD and, and we had a few, you know, Zoom calls and, you know, we were able to, you know, get a new statement out. We were able to have him and, and he wasn't in, you know, he wasn't, you know, in, in total disagreement. You know, he thought, you know, of course he was like, well, like what's wrong with my statement? He mean, he meant well. It just wasn't, you know, it just, it just didn't feel as though, you know, we felt that Breonna Taylor's name should have been mentioned. George Floyd's name should have been mentioned, you know, those, you know, and and we felt that black students do so much, black athletes, student athletes do so much for so many different colleges that like, it should be a strong statement of, you know, what these people have done and, 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 and how wrong it is. And, you know, they were, you know, eventually they were in agreement with us and they put out a new statement. They were, it was a big press release. And uh, we also wanted to figure out, you know, some of the things we could do around the community. And, um, you know, we came up with, you know, some different things that, you know, Syracuse was, you know, said they were going to do so we can kind of hold them accountable to it. And it was kind of, you know, we wanted to take our whole experience and which we're still in the process of doing of taking up me and my, you know, close friend Amadou, uh, he ran track there. We wanted to take that full experience and bring in challenge other people to take it to their schools and hold their schools accountable because they have so much pull in, the, in, in their schools. That's amazing. So, so what do you think, whether you're a student athlete um, or a professional athlete that has an alma mater, like what do you think the impact, their impact can be on their schools? Because, you know, we've talked to some, some student athletes who are, who are doing great work and who've been inspiring, but I'm just curious, like what was that playbook that you show to other people that you could bring to your own school and have an impact on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of times people want to help, even in, in my position, they just don't really know how. And I think it's, 
you know, the people that have gone through experiences, have done things like myself and my friend Amadou to bring, you know, that to the table for, you know, you want to help here. This is what you can do. Contact your AV, contact this person, contact everybody you can in, in your school, get to the, you know, highest person that you can and have a, have, maybe have a list of demands that, that, that you would love to see. You know, it doesn't have to be a fight or an argument. It's just, you know, I feel as though these situations have happened you know, whether it's Kentucky, whether it's Duke, North Carolina, I feel everybody has different issues in, in, in their in their own school. You know, I can't say, you know, I can't say this should be your list of demands for your school because I don't know if that's an issue in your school. So I think figure out what, you know, what your school can improve on and then go from there and figure out what you would like to see from your school and, and, and go from there. And it's, it, to be honest, it's hard. It's hard to say no, like as a human being, like you're, you're asking them to improve their school in a way to help black people that do so much. It's hard to, you know, kind of turn that down. So I think it's just getting those ideas. It's getting those ideas start actually doing it, start contacting people and, 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 you know, try to hold people accountable because, I mean, in anything, it's hard to hold yourself accountable, right? Like if Syracuse holds Syracuse accountable, then there's there's easy things to slip. But if I hold Syracuse accountable, if my friends hold Syracuse accountable, if the student body athlete athletes hold them accountable, then, then it's a, a little different story. Getting specific and specific asks, I'm with you, Michael. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing and that's the biggest key because a lot of times, especially as student athletes, you can get in front of your AD, you can get in front of your coaches and all these different people, but you also need to know what those asks are and what you guys all want collectively. So I know obviously you could have picked any school that you wanted to go to and at the time you chose Syracuse and now we're starting to see some of these younger athletes come up especially young black athletes and start to consider these HBCUs and put HBCUs in their top five so if you were to kind of speak to these young athletes what would you say to them about knowing and understanding the power that they have and their influence and also knowing their worth and just the different things that they could bring to an HBCU just by choosing to go there. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, to, to if, if that's your path and that's your way, then, then, you know, kind of strive for that, you know, go to those schools and um, don't stop when you get there. You know, I know it's a big statement to, to, you know, you can go anywhere in the country and you choose an HBCU to go to, which doesn't have the highest, you know, basketball ranking in the world. But um, I think it, it. I think it is a big statement. It's it's definitely a, a stepping stone that you know is big. But I would say don't stop there. You know, even though you go to an all black college, don't just you know go there and play and, and wear that school on your chest and and let it hang. You know, kind of let that be. You know, keep keep taking the next step and keep fighting. You know, all, any chance that you can. You know, any chance you get. That's a great message, man. Well, I know we're coming up on time here, so I want to ask you. You know, we want to give you a chance to shout anything out or plug an organization that you're working with or anything you wanted to mention. Um, I mean, I, I, I could shout. I got, you know, I got an AAU team, a, a bunch of, we got a few boys teams. We got about 15 girls teams. Uh, so, you know, shout out to the MCW stars. Yes, absolutely. So shout out to them. We do a lot of work in the community. Um, you know, we got a bunch of great people involved. So Definitely shout out to them. Follow them on Instagram, MCW Stars. Um, shout out to the Social Change Fund, which I'm a part of. Um, 
the Orlando Magic, you know, organization, Coach Clifford, he's done a, you know, a, he's been amazing, um, you know, every step of the way, you know, he's, he fights for education reform, you know, putting, putting black history in the, in the, into education more and, and teaching people what it, you know, means to be black. And he's done, he's gone above and beyond in the community. Um, you know, he was, he went to the, um, our, our, the Amway Center for, you know, a week straight just to, you know, encourage people to vote. So um, shout out to him for, for being a leader uh, and, and, you know, being a white man and, and being a leader in this time, which is, you know, unreal. So, so, Michael, I know you're getting involved with the Social Change Fund. So maybe tell us a little bit more about what the organization is and where you're trying to get involved with. Um, yeah, it's a, a group of athletes that, you know, want to have an impact, you know, in their communities. And um, basically, you kind of pick a category that you want to focus on, whether it's, you know, education, whether it's voting, whether, you know, whatever the case may be. And, um, you know, you kind of choose whatever you want to do. You, you can hold an event. Um, you can go visit, you know, a group of people, um, whatever you want to do. Um, they help you with that and everybody in the organization they, they help you with it also. Right. So say if I want to, you know, do something with, with education, right. They'll, we'll use their, you know, kind of plugs and people. They have a lot of hot, big name people, you know, with Chris Paul and D Wade and Carmelo and, you know, a bunch of other people who will help you know, get involved in, in that avenue. So um, it's a great, you know, it's a, it's a great idea. It's early in the game for me. Um, so I'm still trying to come up with, you know, kind of where I want to go and what I want to do. So, yeah. So Michael, obviously your daughter is growing up in an unprecedented time just with everything that's going on now with Black Lives Matter and the protests, but also being able to see a woman like Kamala Harris. Um, it's funny because she's actually Indian and Black as well. So, um, wow. I know, yeah, come of the Harris is also, but, um, yeah, I would, you know, definitely I would teach her about the history, um, you know, educate her on, you know, kind of what the world hopefully used to be and, and, um, you know, and have her always, you know, fight for a good cause, no matter what it is, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, black people or brown people, you know, it, it can be, you know, for whatever she, you know, wants to fight for, but, you know, at, I would encourage her to, you know, to do that and to always give back to, you know, the community that she lives in and, and to uplift, you know, all people. And I think that's all we can hope for, right? Like we can hope that for our kids or our grandkids or the generations after us, that we leave the world in a better place than we found it. So I love that. No, yeah, I think that if that's the mindset, I think we're, we're in a good place because, you know, be honest, I, I, you know, I, I, I hope, I pray, but, you know, I doubt the world is going to change, you know, in, in, you know, when we're, you know, 40, 50 years old, you know, I, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a lot. And, you know, I fight so hard for it. So, you know, my daughter and, you know, my future kids, they can grow up in, in a better world. Thank you for that, man. That's a, that's a beautiful story. Um, yeah. So thank you for coming on. Uh, we appreciate you. This was great. Obviously, thank you for everything you're doing in the community. I love how community first you are. Thank you so much, Michael. Really appreciate you coming on today too. This week's work is to check out the Social Change Fund. It was created by philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and NBA superstars like Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, and Dwayne Wade to support critical and timely issues impacting the black community. Thanks for checking out the work. Subscribe on all your favorite platforms and tune in next week.